State of Digital Publishing is creating a new publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Heather Armstrong, founder, also known as Deuce, on her journey of being one of the most prolific mommy bloggers and how she's growing her business these days. Let's begin. Hi, Heather. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Of course. Um, yeah, the reason why I, I wanted to bring you on was because I've, I've read quite a bit about you and and how you know you were called you know the queen of mommy blogging and um and we we went we'll go into a bit of that but also want to go into um, what you're up to these days as well. So just for those who don't know much about you and, and the website, if you can just provide a background, the introduction will be great. Uh, well, briefly, I started blogging in 2000, 2001. I was um, working as a web designer and decided that I wanted a space of my own to write and design and edit. And so I hand-coded a few pages of HTML Mm-hmm. And sent it to a few friends of mine, never thinking that more than 12 people would read it. And within uh, within five years, it was supporting my entire family as <laughs> the sole source of income. <laughs> yeah. um, and I I started writing it when I was single and living in Los Angeles. And it sort of morphed into me getting married. And then I got pregnant. And I thought that I was going to give up the website when I got pregnant or when I had a baby because I wasn't going to have time. But when I had my, my daughter, the audience sort of exploded. And that's when my trajectory really took off. People wanted to read stories about from me about parenthood. And so I was one of the first women to document all of this on the blog and to get paid to do it through, through banner advertisements. And just for those don't, don't, don't know, is it pronounced as douche or? It's, you... it's pronounced deuce, D-O-O-C-E, deuce. Deuce, cool. And with deuce specifically, um, yeah, I guess like you, you, we, I think we all know to some extent that it was a bit more easier back in the day because um, there wasn't as much competition and everything else. But with how you evolved your content strategy and your monetization from that, I know you're not working on it as much these days, but. How did it evolve over time so that you can you continue to do what you wanted to do with how well you- it it was always really organic and there was no model to follow back then at all it was it was all sort of building itself and back back then, I got paid exclusively just from running banner advertisements and that was it I didn't have to run sponsorships I didn't have to run campaigns. I just had to write. That's all I had to do. And the more that I, you know, and I, and I, and I learned my audience, my audience wanted to hear about my dogs and they wanted to hear about my children. And so that's where I focused most of my content. And I built a community section of my website where readers could connect and talk to each other about parenting and depression and whatnot. But really it evolved very, very, very organically where I was sort of responding to my audience and they were responding to me. And it was, I wouldn't say it was easy, but because, because the model was just banner advertisements, the, the strategy was just to keep my audience happy and keep me happy as well, but was like, what, what does my audience want to read and to give them the best content that I could. I guess, how do you, how did you define back then what your audience was looking to read? Um, Cause you know, you did, you mentioned that you had children when you first started, but obviously all moms, moms aren't going to be in the same stage as you are, but how did you define what you want to write about and, and keep them happy doing so? Well, I mean, I sort of, before I had my kids, I made my name um, in the, blog the blogosphere I guess you could call it that I made my name being a really outspoken irreverent often um profane <laughs> like I wrote about things I would say things that people were afraid to say yeah. out loud and I used I was very very irreverent and that's why people read me and so here I am talking about parenthood in that same vein. Like I'm telling people exactly what I think about what it's like to raise a baby and what it's like to be pregnant. And 
I knew that I had to maintain my tone and while maintaining the content. So people wanted to come and they wanted to get in the irreverent take on parenthood. And I knew that that was sort of like my brand. I know people hate to use that word, but it's a, it's a really accurate way to describe how I had to go about growing this business. Understood. So with with yeah, so you, you build the yeah, like you've mentioned, you look at focus on the content, focus on the community, and then you decide to diversify um, a bit. Sorry, before sorry, I, I'm gonna cut this part out. Sorry, I just want to ask you. So with in working with other brands and and looking at the other blog networks and and companies that were active back then, how were they? How were you involved with them back then, and how is it now? In comparison, how, do publishers come back, come to you these days as well, in um, in a similar approach in, in trying to collaborate with you, or how does how's, how is that ecosystem now? Well, it's completely different now. So for six years, I was able to support my family and to support three employees through banner advertisements alone. That was it. I never did I never did a, a sponsored post until very late 2010. Yeah, and um, suddenly there was a convergence of a whole bunch of things happened. Uh, Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook got really popular, Twitter, and that sort of started taking audiences away from blogs because people would stay on, on Twitter or Pinterest all day. And then the bottom, the the bottom fell out of the banner ad net uh, business model and literally overnight, a banner ad that would sell for $7 began selling for 15 cents. And I was signed exclusively to an ad network that was based out of San Francisco. And while they did sponsored content, they knew that I didn't want to do sponsored content. So they were fine with me running banner advertisements. But then they came to me and said, there is no, there's no more money to be made running banner advertisements. We've got to do sponsored content. So I had to completely changed the way that I was making money suddenly in 2011. And I had to start working with brands and writing content around brands. And that ultimately became something that I didn't want to do um, because I didn't sign up to do that. I signed up to write about my life in a very organic and honest way. And by 2014, um, the only way to make any sort of living doing a blog was to manufacture an experience in your life around a product and to feature that product in your post. And I took a break from blogging for two years, almost two years, because I couldn't, I couldn't force my kids into these fake experiences. And I came back to blogging because I love to write and I love to write about my family and I love to chronicle my life. But now I don't even work with an ad network. I, um, I run, I run some banner ads on the website for, you know, that and I make, I make very little from that, but I now negotiate my own contracts with brands who want to work with me. Now there's far more hustle far, far, far more hustle, uh, that goes on in terms of finding, um, paid work to keep the website up. Um, I'm sure it's very difficult, but at the same time, it's, it's also trying to keep true to what you're trying to do as well. So, um, how much of a role did your subscriber base play in being able to go and draw up contracts or, or negotiating with other brand advertisers directly? It's well, yeah, it's, that, that is the basis of my being able to do so is that I have a, a large following on several different platforms like on Twitter and on Instagram and my blog sort of, my blog has been around for 18 years and I sort of have that cachet to come to a brand and say, you know, people have been reading me for this long. And if I choose to partner with someone, they know that I'm very serious about it and they know that I'm really picky about it. And so my audience is going to trust whatever I, whoever I partner with. But it's definitely the audience that enables me to be able to go to these brands and say, you know, I can show you this many eyeballs and this many impressions, and you're a part of a very small number of people that I'm willing to work with. I don't just work with anybody. So. And have you tried to figure out any process or way to try to 
um, scale your efforts in this, or are you, because you are the sole identity of the of the of the <laughs> brand that you are individually picking out all the partnerships? Yeah, I. That's an interesting question. Um, I've I've tried several different things over the years. Um, I've tried different subject matter. I've tried guest writers and what it all really comes down to is my audience doesn't want to read somebody else. My audience wants to read me, which proves problematic in terms of scaling this because there's only so much content one person can produce. And at the same time, the father of my children moved to New York four years ago. And so I'm a full, I'm a full-time single parent of two girls. And what that requires of me physically takes away what I can physically do business-wise. And so I made, a, I made a conscious choice four years ago that I would, that, I mean, really ultimately I'm, I'm an ambitious person in the sense that I want to do my job really well, but I don't have an ambition to take over a publishing industry or to start a publishing industry. I really just want to tell really funny stories. And if I can do that well, and I can provide for my family doing that well, and I feel like I'm, I'm very satisfied. And so over the, the last four years, I've, I've tried to strike a balance of how do I take care of my kids and how do I provide for my kids at the same time? And so I really did say, you know, I, I can't grow this into something larger than what it is right now. But when you look at the website now, you've got podcasts, you've got the shop, you've got the community. It looks very diversified. I know maybe that can help with diversifying your monetization, but doesn't that spread you a bit too thin as well at the same time? Um, no, well, you know, it's taken four years. The balance is setting a really strict schedule for, you know, this slotted hour a week is for this and this slotted hour a week is for that. And, uh, you know, it... It's, it's a, it's a really busy schedule, but at the same time, I spend a lot of, I have the flexibility of this job and I spend a lot of time with my kids and, and I'm still providing for them. And so it's working. I mean, what I, what you see on the website is, (laughs) what you see on the website is a collection of a lot of archived material as well. I mean, I have 18 years of content that I can pull from to propel me forward. No, that's absolutely a valid point. And yeah, um, I guess you can prioritize. Have you thought about how you can prioritize a lot of the archive content, like in and put it into the shop, for example, or create a repurpose it in some way as well? Yeah, I, I do try to pull from the, the the archives quite a bit. Sometimes I'll rerun posts. Um, I have some featured reads at the top of my website where I've pulled some of the most popular posts from the past. You can, there's also a lot of money to be made in affiliate linking. A lot of the influencers, they're, they're influencers now. They're not bloggers. They're called influencers. And a lot of influencers now can make an, a, a really good living doing nothing but linking to the clothes that they're wearing. And I've diversified that way as well by linking to products that I use in my home and making a commission off of the sale of that. But my audience really, I mean, they, they have a certain amount of they'll they'll allow that a, a bit but they can't tolerate it that much my audience is not here to see an outfit my audience is here to read about a story about my daughter that's that's what so how how are you planning your like um growth initiatives or how are you planning your future plans with your website and trying to also sustain the income and and all that at the same time well, I just turned in a manuscript for a book that is coming out in at the beginning of next year. And that having a book is also really helpful in terms of being able to book speaking engagements. I tried speaking engagements for a couple of years and the money to be made doing speaking, which I really enjoy, comes when you have a book to sell. And you're more readily to be booked when you have a book that you can bring to a conference or whatnot and sell the book. So that's part of my plans for the next couple of years is to turn on a few books while I (laughs) writing a book while maintaining a website is, I don't recommend it to anyone, (laughs) but um, it's a monster task to to take on. it's, It's a monster task. And I even said to my audience, Hey, I have to get this manuscript written. So what you're going to see here on the website is going to be 
few and far, far between. But then once I turned on the manuscript, I was able to start publishing a little bit more every week. But I'm, I have talked to, even in the last week, I've talked to four different people who do influencer marketing on Pinterest and Instagram and Twitter. And everybody is having to take a look at the landscape and figure out how to keep doing this because it's, it's really shifting underneath us. And because Facebook and Instagram have changed algorithms and people who used to see, you know, 90% engagement on posts are now seeing like a third of that. And it's, it, all of us are having to completely adapt constantly to this changing landscape. And so what I want to do over the next few months is sort of take a step back and study and look at some trends and decide where I want to go. I'm in, I'm right now in the process of reevaluating what I want to do with everything. Bigger publishers are also the same. Um, I'm not trying to be too negative about it. Like this, we even with GDPR as well. It looks like there's like a bit, a massive reset that's happening um, mm-hmm. in general in in looking at platform trying to not focus too much on platforms and trying to focus on direct relationships. So. Yeah. yeah, it's a good time to everyone to, for to reset and and um, evaluate. So yeah, I actually just really quickly the yeah. the local newspaper here, the big paper here in Salt Lake City, Utah, just laid off thirty people, and this is a publication that has over thirteen million page views a month, and they can't. They're they're basically looking and almost shutting the whole paper down because they can't they can't continue to operate the paper because making money online is proving impossible. So you've got a publisher that's got 13 million pages a month that's saying, we don't know how we're going to sustain this. And that's, you know, that kind of spells doom for everybody else as well. But how are they um, trying to monetize online? Are they doing, focusing on subscriptions? Because like, you've seen like the exceptions with like New York Times and a few other mm-hmm. of the bigger publishers that focusing on subscribing a paywall. Yeah, they, they have tried that they make most of their money with the print edition of the paper. That's where the bulk of their revenue comes from. So online they're running banner ads and they're trying to encourage people to subscribe, although they're not being as militant about it as the New York times. Understood. Does it, it appears that maybe that digital transformation hasn't been completed, but um, I only wish them, I hope, hope that they turn, turn it around. Um, yeah, definitely. But in saying that as well, Heather, you know, you're taking the book publishing path and you're using a lot of the content online. Isn't that still focusing? You said that earlier that you don't want, you've decided that you don't want to take, um, tackle a big challenge and you don't want to go into the publishing route, but yet you're taking the book publishing route. Well, I've, I've already published three books. I've been, I've done publishing before. Right. <laughs> I know what that beast is like. The, 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 book publishing route is more of an avenue towards something else. The clout that comes with having a book, especially if you get on any sort of um, list or any sort of bestseller list or anything, the clout that comes with that opens a lot of doors. And so, I mean, after my last book, (laughs) I swore off books and said I would never do it again. But then I had a story to tell last year and started writing and realized that um, I mean, I don't know if you heard today. So the book that I'm writing is about, uh, about a suicidal depression that I went through last year and the year before. And I'm, I've made a lot of my, my career has been based quite a bit on the writing that I've done about depression and people really want to hear those stories from me. So I'm writing this book about how I got through that episode of depression yep. and and then we found out today that Anthony Bourdain killed himself. And then earlier this week, we found out that Kate Spade had killed herself. And yeah, think, yeah. so many people are reaching out to me saying, your voice is so important. Please don't stop doing this. And I think this is, this is going to sound really religious of me. And I'm not a religious person. But over the last couple of years, it's sort of been, <laughs> the signs are all pointing toward my calling in life is to, is to help destigmatize uh, depression and mental illness. 
And so that is what I'm looking at in the next six months is how do I, what, how do I take what I've done and turn it into something that can help people? And whether that means continuing to write on my website or on books or whether that means founding a nonprofit and going that route, I mean, that's something that I'm considering as well. But again, right now it's all, it's not all up in the air, but I am on a day-to-day basis re- reassessing the landscape. Do you think being able to publish about your journey in, in motherhood and, and, and your, your family, what, what do you think the underlining issue was around depression or were you also, obviously I'm sure you've been focusing on other topics as well, but do you think that the, the recurring theme and the underserving audience need was also around that? That maybe that's why yes. it's come to this point that you are yeah. focusing on this issue. Yeah. So I, um, when I had my daughter, my audience exploded. And six months after I had my daughter, I checked myself into a hospital with a really bad case of postpartum depression and spent four days um, at the hospital trying to get better. And I was really scared because I thought people were going to write me off as the crazy person when in fact, my audience tripled the day that I checked myself into the hospital again. They wanted to hear me talk about it. And I, so I always come back to the topic of it because a lot of my audience came to me during that episode and that's what they want to hear from me is please help me feel less alone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's, it's a very, I think it's not, as, it should be spoken more about. It's a bit sensitive, I think, but having that voice is, is important for, for people out there for sure. Like, um, it, yeah. With, with that in mind, I guess, how do mothers now, I mean, I mean, back in the day, like, you know, there was, it was like you've been also been mentioned as the queen of mommy blogging. A lot of people back then as well have used blogging as a way to express themselves and also share their stories with other people. How, what are your thoughts around that now? Do you think that that's still more the case that that's happening or it's less or what do you think that I think I think I've given a few speeches about this I think when I when I talked about what happened in like 2010 2011 when Pinterest and Instagram and all that sort of hit I I call it the Pinterestification of the internet where everything turned into really really pretty pictures and the successful influencers influencers now just post pictures and they monetize those pictures and people who call themselves bloggers aren't doing any sort of writing. They're just posting really pretty pictures of food or their house or their outfits. And what used to be this really, really vibrant ecosystem of women writing about the struggles of depression and parenthood and what it's like to work as a woman, these blogs are all gone. They're they're, I mean, it's like a complete desert now. And everybody has taken those stories that they would host and own on their blogs. They've taken them to Facebook. And I think that's the majority, that's where the majority of people are getting their support now is they're taking to Facebook and writing really long Facebook posts, or they're a part of like a Facebook group support group. And the, and, and I'm happy that those forms exist, except for the fact that Facebook owns that content and in a flash, Facebook could take it away. And in a flash, you lose all of those stories that you've written and you lose the community that's built there. And then what do you do? This is, a, this is the problem that I see with these influencers making, you know, establishing these platforms on Instagram. Like Instagram owns that content and, and can disappear tomorrow, which is what I loved about blogs is that these were our own spaces that we owned. We owned all of it. We made rules. And, but I do think that the stories that used to be, be written and told are now, they've all gone to Facebook. Well, again, like I was alluding to before, I think there's this whole reshift in how people can better connect with their audiences and develop direct relationships beyond platforms. How do you think new bloggers or you know, people who focus around sharing the stories about motherhood can be someone like yourself who has been able to grow and connect with the audience do they have to just do what you did back when you first started or how do you i know you you're evaluating a lot of that stuff now with your own initiatives but 
just on the top of your head, what do you think, what are the, some of the fundamental things they can do now to start building their, their audience? I think it's, I think doing what I did, I don't know if that's necessarily possible now because it exists in a completely different form. I mean, I, I'm looking at um, like, like starting a blog right now to try to connect with a whole bunch of people is not a good idea. Um, I think that that's, <laughs> that would be like putting on, you know, socks to try to walk through a giant, you know, puddle of mud. They're blogging to reach a lot of people right now is not really a good strategy. I mean, and I'm reading about people on Instagram who are trying to make a go of having that be their business. They're spending hours and hours and hours a day doing nothing but creating content, responding to comments, finding other accounts to follow, DMing those people. Like their whole day is spent on the platform trying to game the platform. And if that's what you want to do, you know, that I'm, I'm more power to you, but that's, but that's not something that I want to pursue, but that's, if you, if you want to connect to a bigger audience, that's the kind of work you have to put in these days. Yeah. Uh, I guess everyone's been um, accustomed and, and being sort of looked at, sorry, they've been accustomed or they've been uh, trained to sort of gain the system, but that's not how, how it's supposed to be. Right. So, how is your, I believe you also started, the, like you were saying before as well, you're looking at starting your nonprofit and and you, you've got your podcast and everything else. How is that going so far? Um, podcasting is, um, everybody has a podcast. <laughs> podcasting is interesting. It's not as lucrative, I think, as people want to believe it is. I have a co-host and he and I, we do, we do it weekly. We have somebody who edits it and we have a host and it's not a big moneymaker by any means whatsoever. I mean, if I were to suggest, if, if someone's going to make podcasting their moneymaker, then they're they need to go all in on the podcast and need to be focused completely on it and not do anything else. The, the, the podcasters who have the big numbers and the, and are making the most revenue, like that's what they do is podcasting. Um, my podcast is basically to supplement the story of my life and the story of my website. And it's something that I enjoy doing. It's more of a passion uh, project. Mm-hmm. Um, are you also trying to reach out to advertisers for contracts on your podcast as well for sponsorships? Or yes. Is, mm-hmm. So that's part of the whole product package yes. that you're offering. Understood. So for for those people out there as well who want to do something similar, how how have you gone about trying to negotiate with with advertisers on on sponsorships? Well, what's complicated everything is that there are so many influencers out there that it's spread everything really thin, and a lot of people are willing to feature something for free as long as they get the product in hand. Like they'll write about a pair of pants because the person sent them a pair of pants. When for those of us who've been doing this and are trying to make livings doing this, we can't pay our rent with a pair of pants. And it's what I have to do. And this is why the hus- why I call it a hustle, what I have to do and what a lot of my time, my administrative time I, it, it is convincing brands that what I'm offering them is not free. Like I can't do it for free, but I can offer them a quality advertisement basically for what they want to sell. If I believe in the product, I have to convince them why they need to pay for the exposure that the exposure just doesn't come for free. And that if you're going to give a a pair of pants away to somebody who has 120 Instagram followers, that's fine. But I've built an audience over the last 18 years and my voice carries a little more weight. And so when you're going about negotiating these contracts, you know, you have to look at your numbers, you have to look at your reach, you have to look at what your audience will withstand. A lot of that goes into what I quote to, to sponsors that I want to work with. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And with, so you also, 18 years is a long time as well. So there's obviously going to be new audience within the, that age bracket coming in and there's also going to be others which aren't going to be there anymore or, or mm-hmm. is that is that something that maybe I'm wrong about how how have you tried how have you been able to stay true to what you're doing and, and be able to capture the new generation or the new 
audience in that. Well, I'm not, I'm not really interested in capturing. I'm not capturing, the, sorry, that might be the wrong wording. I'm just saying yeah. how, how were you able to still continue to, to convey yourself and, and the story that you want to, to spread for those people who are looking, even though that they might not be in motherhood anymore, like uh, they, they've got adult children, for example, or they've, they've changed their scenario, but they might not be looking for that information anymore. Do you think that that's not the case or what are your thoughts around? Actually, that's an interesting question because this is why I never liked the term mommy blogger. I would call myself much more of a lifestyle writer and <laughs> always, always over the, over the entire time that I've been writing, I always get email from college age kids to grandparents, to people who don't have kids. And it's, it's less about they're coming for parenting stories than it is they're coming to read my writing is what they're coming to read. And I happen to do my best writing around my children and what it's like to be a mom. That's my funniest writing. I think people are still coming to me because they want to hear me tell a story. They're not coming to me necessarily because I have kids or because I have dogs. They're coming to me because of the way that I tell the story. Yeah, I'm also um, reading as well. Like it's, it's all about the value proposition that you provide, like mm -hmm. the value of the yeah. story, the value of who you are. How you, exactly. So no, it's, it's, it's become more evident. So how, how can people make or how can uh, bloggers or writers can how can they make that more clear clear of um for people because sometimes it's harder for people to express themselves to do that or or convey that onto their website or platforms they're on how, how can they do that um that's a good question i think you have to be consistent and you have to be consistent over an extended period of time I think if you're going to establish yourself as an authority or having some sort of value proposition, you've got to establish that over a period of time, over doing it well over and over and over and over again. Repetition's key, yeah. Mm -hmm. But in, in lifestyle particularly, what, what's, what have you seen other writers focus on? I know you've, you've focused more around those topics that we spoke about before, but... What, what do you think other writers are writing that is interesting to them or from what you've noticed? I've, I've seen a huge, huge surge in social justice writing. I've seen in the last couple of years, careers take off because of, you know, you're familiar with medium.com? Of course, yeah. Yeah. I've seen careers take off because people have written pieces on medium about social social justice work. And like they now have best-selling books and they're writing for the New York Times and they're writing for the Atlantic all because they started literally just from their bedroom publishing a piece on Medium about social justice. I mean, it's, it's a really, really hot topic in America, especially. And I've seen writers just, they, like their Twitter audiences have exploded. That for me right now is a, is, is a very, very lucrative place to go in terms of establishing a voice. So you are actually thinking about taking the, your voice to that direction as well? No, um, I've no. <laughs> no. If I were to, if I were to suggest to anybody who's good at that, um, I've that. written about it a little bit. Yeah. I'm my my voice is better suited to writing about writing about how grumpy my kids are in the, are in the morning. The, the women who are the I, and I say women because I read mostly women. The women's whose writing that I'm reading around social justice it would blow me out of the water. I would not have I would not know how to approach the subject as well as they do. We're talking about women with you know master's degrees and <laughs> and 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 it, I'm really excited for them that they found these audiences. So they're more specialized. That's pretty much what it comes down yeah. to. Yeah. 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 Okay. Have you seen other writers that are in the similar boat as you have been? that have been able to shift from one sort of voice to another? You know, all of, the, all of the blogs that were around when I, back in the day, none of them exist anymore. Uh, most of the friends that I have who had blogs, Molly blogs back in the day, they have gone on to more conventional work because it, you know, the ad network that I made a living off of for so long doesn't even exist anymore. And they've gone on to more conventional work or they work for 
magazines or they work for as editors for like Slate, but I haven't, they're really like, I'm looking around and I'm trying to think of anybody that I know personally who's, who, do, who does this for a living anymore. And I, the only people that I know who do this for a living are people who have shifted towards less about writing and they've shifted towards DIY or crafting or party supplies or um, like Brands fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which again, that's conflicting with what you're about. So, mm-hmm. so how, how's your relationship then with, with editorials, like media publishers and editorials? Like you said that you have some people, some of the bloggers who have moved on to them. How's your relationship with them and how, how do they fit in the ecosystem for you and trying to get your brand and amplify your brand? Um, I don't really speak with them anymore. We used to hang out at blogging conferences quite a bit, but... I think they're still surprised that I'm around and doing this. <laughs> I think some people are just like, is she still doing that? Oh my God. Um, and because, and I mean, taking a more conventional job means far more stability. And when you're collecting insurance from an employer, there comes a level of relief with that. I mean, I've had to live under the threat of not being able to get health insurance the entire time that I've been doing this. and. I don't have the regular benefits that people have from working a regular job. And I think when you go back to work in the public sector, it's, it's, I, maybe they've taken comfort in that. Unfortunately, it's a bit more complex in America than other places. Like in Australia, you can pretty much <laughs> purchase health insurance without having that criteria there. But um, yeah. Yeah. So, that, so you, you don't pretty much con- collaborate with any editorial sites on any initiatives. Um, no, no, I, um, most of the work that I do outside of my website is with nonprofits that I've partnered with. Um, I decided a few years ago that if I was going to use, I mean, if I can maintain my platform and still bring in a good income that I was going to use my influence as much as I could for other organizations who are working, really trying to make this a better world to live in. So but any of the extra time that I have, I have a few nonprofits that I do work for and I spend time with them. I was actually reading today as well, as, as, of, as of the when I've recorded this, I was actually reading today that a new subscription-only startup was actually collaborating with nonprofits and doing audience soft beliefs. So what one would do is um, they would promote their services on their website and the other person would do, other comp- or the nonprofit would do the vice versa because they have similar audiences. Do you think that that can be something that you you can also look into or potentially see if there's any benefit without making it, without obviously trying to take advantage of of, of the audience that you the mutual audience that you're both targeting? Or is that yeah, something? I would I I would have to feel good. I would have to feel clean and good about myself doing that sort of thing. I wouldn't want to because I wouldn't want to take away from the mission of a nonprofit. I mean, I've done a lot of work with nonprofits and I know what they go through and I know how hard the administrative part of it is. And, yeah. but yeah, I'd have to feel good about that sort of arrangement. No, that makes, yeah, obviously that makes sense. Um, how, how are your nonprofit efforts now? How are you collaborating with them at the moment? Um, I have been on the board of directors of a, a maternal health organization since 2011 and I've traveled to Haiti and Tanzania and um, where else have I been? I've been to Peru. We're going to Arizona later this year. All, and it's all about bringing healthcare to mothers who don't have access to it. Um, that's the main organization that I work with. And I also work with an organization that's based in Colorado, but they do a lot of work in Thailand um, and in Southeast Asia, and they work to end human trafficking. And I've done what I've done for them is I've gone on trips with them, and I've chronicled the trip and sort of been sort of a I wouldn't call myself a journalist. I would call myself a storyteller, and I would come back and I would tell their story through pictures and through words. And that's been really, really satisfying. Both in terms of um, achieving your mission and helping with the nonprofit at the same time, is that how you define that, or how would you define fulfilling for you? Fulfilling to me is like, okay, I have this audience that is eager to help. My, the people in my audience are eager to help out. They're socially conscious individuals. And 
if I can bring light to a situation through a nonprofit that's doing really good work, I, I'm really happy to do that, to lend the platform that I have to, to an organization that needs the exposure. That is satisfying to me. Absolutely. I hope, I hope one day instead of this publishing can get bigger to a point where I can make that bigger difference as well um, for media professionals, like for, for whatever noble cause that they want to achieve as well for their audiences. Um, yeah. So how how do you define now? You said that you weren't, you don't classify yourself as a journalist, but you're more of a storyteller. A, story, journal, a lot of journalists classify themselves as storytellers, but can anyone be, I guess anyone can be a storyteller, right? What, what are your thoughts around the view of anyone being a storyteller? I know that technology has helped make it more accessible and, and help cover events and, and experiences worldwide easy, more easily, but what, what would you qualify as someone being a genuine storyteller that can help the audience with an under, underserving issue or topic? I think, um, when, I, when I say storyteller, I'm, I'm really talking about words. And you can tell stories through photographs, of course. Yeah. And, but when I talk about my storytelling, I, I'm talking about words. And I had a friend, she once read a book and it was, it was like practical thought starters for blog posts. This is a long, long time ago, but the title of her book was nobody cares what you had for lunch today. And I think the difference between a lot of writing is that a lot of writing is, is not interesting. It's not fun to read. Nobody's going to get past the first paragraph. Yeah. But if you can hook somebody in the first sentence, that's where I think the good storytelling comes from. In places like Medium, again, I mean, providing a platform for people who want to get their stories out, it's a great place to start. I find a lot of good gold nuggets there, especially for data-driven stories or different case studies as well for publishers that are trying to do grow their initiatives. They, they do a lot of their posting there, so I definitely appreciate it what Medium has done today, although they check, keep changing their business model. And yes, they do. All the time, so. Yeah. So what, what are some of the skills that you've learned that other people can learn to become better storytellers? What's some of the fundamentals that they can learn? I often, people ask me all the time if I take notes, and I do in my head. Um, a lot of my writing is tangential, but what it does is it draws on, you know, four or five different in, situations in my life. If I'm going to write about my daughter, my daughter's picky eating at dinner, it usually involves four or five other scenarios that have nothing to do with her picky eating, but somehow contribute to the story. And it, what I'm, I guess, layering your stories with depth and color and and you know the breadth of life it's not just my daughter's a picky eater it's telling the whole it's it's creating the whole picture around that her sitting at a table fussing over a, a bland noodle i always tell people to if if they are not good if they don't if they're not good rememberers it's like travel with a notepad and write down something that your kid said or write down an interaction that you had at the grocery store and reference that later somehow in writing. Yeah. What, what has triggered when you were saying that to me at the moment was how there's even like, I, had, I did another podcast with someone else around, which was timeline.com, which they on medium.com as well. They focus on history journals and, and they, they, they start with today, but then they connect back with what was what were the things that w were the cause of that rather than just you telling people what it is? So uh -huh. I think exactly mummy blogger, like, sorry to say that. Um, I think people who are focusing around the topics you focused on and, and also just around motherhood as well, were able to convey that. And I think that played a big contribution in how storytelling is today. What are your thoughts around that? Yes, I absolutely agree. I, I absolutely agree. And I, the really successful mommy bloggers were the ones who were crafting stories. And um, we weren't just telling you what happened during the day. We were, we were, I always said that write as if you're sitting around, you know, on a Friday night with your girlfriends and you're drinking a glass of wine and you're telling them about your ridiculous week and you're laugh, you're all laughing about it. 
And how would you tell them the story to make them laugh? You wouldn't just say, you know, my kid did this really stupid thing. You would go on and on about how you got into that situation in the first place. And it's like, how do you make people feel like they're sitting at your dinner table and you're sharing a glass of wine and you're laughing about your week? That's how I think most of us who were really big back in the day, like that's how we were writing about things. Do you think that there's some sort of recovery of that happening with with all this reset in GDPR and, and not relying so much on platforms? Or do you think that we're going to take a different approach or try to evolve technology to, to try to cater a different game or a different uh, playing field? You know, I don't know. I don't know if we're ever going to get back what we had back in the, the 2000s. I don't know if we can recover that considering where everything has gone. I mean, there's still really good writers out there, but I don't think that we're necessarily going to be able to recapture the community that we had back in the 2000s. It's just, everything is so different and fractured and strange now. (laughs) Yeah, it is is unknown, but um, for a lot of us, for a lot of people, for me as well, I think that helps trying to navigate through that and trying to find what it is that it can be mm. not fractured is what makes it worthwhile as well. Yeah. So, Heather, Heather just some of just some basic questions around your setup and your tools and technologies that you use. What what some what are the things that help you stay productive and and focused? Well, I email can completely consume my life if I let it. And so I set a specific amount of time and an hour a block an hour block a day for email, and then I'm and then I will check it once again at the end of the day and then I'm done. That's been the most productive tip for me because otherwise I will just be stuck in Gmail all day long. I, I run five different email accounts and it's ridiculous. That's epic. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. But I, I use the Notes app on my phone and it syncs with my Mac. I use that for everything. If I'm taking notes, it's on the Notes app. I use that app all the time. And I still use Photoshop every single day. For for your head head post, uh, sorry, featured images on your on your posts. Yeah, or? images, and sometimes I'll do a little bit of graphic design here and there. But it's still probably one of the main applications that I use on my on my computer. Cool. And and in terms of your current setup, you, do you manage the development and management yourself from the website and your the shop and everything, or do you have like you had back in the day as well, a few people that help you? No, I had a company redesign my site a year ago and it's on WordPress and it's really stable. It's hosted really well. And if anything goes wrong with it, I can just send a note to this person that I know with the company and they can fix it within the day. Um, so I don't have anybody dedicated to the back end of my website right now now. Okay. And anyone else supporting supporting you? Because I know you you have that strict schedule, and there's a lot of things like with the publishing, full publishing as well. Is is anyone supporting nope. you? Nope, it's just me. <laughs> it used to be a lot of people, and you know, business has changed, and it's now it's it's only me. I am the sole person running this whole endeavor. That's it. Proud to you, and I hope that like you keep going forward with with your initiatives as well. Uh, Heather, just to 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 wrap up as well, what's some of the, what's your advice that you would give people now, if you for those who potentially want to be in the position that you are now, or consider having what they had in, to start off with and then turn it into a publishing brand? What would be your advice now? I know we said some of it in the beginning, but there's two main pieces of advice that I would give, and one is to seek the advice or in counsel of a business strategist. I wish I had done that because I'm not a savvy business person at all. I'm a writer. That's my main, you know, my main talent is writing. I, in, in, my, in me, in my blood, sweat and tears, I am the commodity. I'm the product. I wish that I had back in the day consulted someone who has a business degree and would give that advice to anybody going into this. And the other thing that I would say is be prepared for the criticism and the scrutiny of opening up your life like this. I was in no way prepared for what I was going to live through, especially at the height of things in 2009 and 2010 in terms of 
the hate and the criticism and what was written about me and my family online, it was unbearable at times. And I wish that I had either gotten therapy sooner or had some sort of mentor to, you know, tell me that it had nothing to do with me and, and that I didn't, I shouldn't have taken it as personally as I did. So how have you overcome some of those challenges today, like to this point now? I stopped reading because there's, there are websites dedicated to credit hate. There's websites dedicated to it specifically. And I stopped reading it in 2015 and my life completely turned around. It was amazing. And I, if I'm reading an email and I think it's going to be bad, I stop reading it. And I block people and delete comments all the time. I have no, I have no guilt over any of that. Like I always tell people, don't let anybody come in and use the bathroom on your living room floor. You wouldn't let anybody do that. So why would you let someone onto your Instagram feed or your blog post and leave a nasty comment? Just block them and delete. And it's been very satisfying. Uh, and what, what about from the business side? In terms of criticism? No, just in terms of, like you said, having that business strategist and, and operation-wise, like, is it more just managing, like you said, your emails and, and just putting some systems to support yourself because you are... Yeah, it's it's all about time management and you can get behind so fast. Like every day, if you're not on top of it every day, you'll fall very, very quickly behind. You've got to put some strict rules in place about email, about how, how long you'll waste on Twitter, um, how many times you'll post to Instagram. Yeah, you got to put some really strict rules in the place when it comes because content takes time to create. And if you aren't leaving yourself the, the time, your content's not going to be good and people will be able to tell. You can easily procrastinate and, and always push back on the content as a result of being distracted. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I can say that as well because I'm not from a writing background and I'm getting into it and it, I find that to be one of my challenges. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Heather. I really appreciate yes. your raw honesty. Absolutely. Conversation with that. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing Podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.